Hello, everyone. Uh, welcome back to Roar Lions Roar. I am your fill-in host this evening, uh, Matt DeBear. I am joined by my fantastic colleague, Matt Filipovitz. How are you doing this evening, Matt? Matt, I'm good. The Bears, the Bears got destroyed today, um, which I'm totally fine with, and I'm starting to just welcome the fact that they are going to ruin Justin Fields, and they will inevitably draft like a horrible quarterback in the third round next year, and we will have a weird competition, uh, and it's going to make me very angry. How did the did uh, Jaquan Brisker play today, though? That's the real question everyone tuned in to find out. So Brisker is playing at a very high level, um, which is awesome. It's great. It would just be really cool if the Bears could put any points on the board. They scored a little bit more today than like I expected. Like they dropped 29, which is perfectly fine. And Brisker ended up with, I want to say, yeah, he was second on the team uh, with, I think it's seven or nine total tackles, excuse me, uh, which is a pretty good day for a defensive back. So he's playing well. So that's a win. Well, that is, of course, like I said, the real reason everyone turned in, tuned in today to uh, hear our thoughts on Bears-Cowboys. Um, secondary, everyone tuned in to hear um, our thoughts on number 13, Penn State, following on Saturday to number two, Ohio State, 44-31 in Beaver Stadium. Um, we'll obviously get into it here as we go on, but it was, it was a weird game. I've got the stats here in front of me. It's you know Penn State racked up uh, 482 yards of offense, 371 yards through the air. Um Gave up 450 yards, 354 yards through the air. Um, and as anyone who watched the game knows, and as we'll talk about here in a couple minutes, the real story of the game, though, was the four Penn State turnovers. Um, some really weird turnovers, as we'll talk about, too. Um, yeah. Not exactly the type of typical interceptions um, that you might expect um, if you are a fan of football um, or even have watched Penn State's offense the last few years. Um, and that's kind of really where I want to start this, Matt, is – um, obviously we don't need to get into all the, you know, the, the hijinks of the last nine minutes. I'm sure it'll come up here as we talk a little bit. Um, but I want to kind of break this down, um, in, in the three phases, offense, defense, and special teams. And then we'll talk about kind of the biggest turning point. Cause boy, were there many, um, yeah. but I want to start with the offense. Cause I think it was, um, after the way Penn state struggled so mightily in Ann Arbor against Michigan, just two weeks ago against a very good defense in its own right. I think we were all kind of on the edge of our seat wondering what exactly this offense was going to do against statistically a better defense in mm -hmm. what Jim Knowles and Ohio State roll out there. And like I said, they rolled up almost 500 yards of offense, 31 points, um, 371 yards through the air. Um, mm -hmm. So I guess what, what in general are your thoughts on, on how that offensive performance played out versus almost what you expected, I guess? Yeah, I didn't expect it to play as well as it did. I, I liked what I saw offensively. I liked how they handled first down. And a lot of that was because of Katron Allen and Nick Singleton. I, I, Franklin has always said he's been obsessed with keeping the offense on track. I saw, I think, a lot of four-yard runs on first down, five-yard runs on first down, which was really what this offense is needed to get going. And there were a lot of well-sustained drives, I thought, and they were set up really well on first down. And then Parker Washington, I think, may have just played his way uh, out of college football next year. I thought he played the best game of his career. And if he goes pro after this year, uh, after doing that to Ohio State, I, I cannot blame the guy. That was one of the more impressive performances I've seen from a Penn State wide receiver uh, over the past two seasons, even including everything Jahan ever did. I thought the tight ends were used really well. Theo Johnson, 
uh, had a pretty good game, that great catch down the sideline that Cliff did a great job keeping his eyes downfield on. And then Tyler Warren splitting a converted a converted high school quarterback, excuse me, out wide in one-on-one coverage and trusting him to make a play uh, says a lot about what the staff thinks about what is essentially their third string tight end. So there's a lot I liked. Um, and I know, you know, we're probably going to get into it sooner or later. Uh, I, I didn't like a lot of what I saw out of, out of Sean Clifford. He was really good for 85% of the game. If you want to beat Ohio state, you have to be really good for 95% of the game. And those three turnovers or four turnovers, excuse me, probably weren't all on him, but I, I know you and I discussed this a little bit yesterday and, and my line has always been year six. It's year six. You cannot commit four turnovers in the biggest game you were brought back in year six to win. You cannot commit four turnovers in that game. I know there's context behind it. I know there's a lot of other things that went wrong, but the fact that we're sitting here talking about Sean Clifford played a really good game that he threw three interceptions in says a lot about the Sean Clifford experience. And, and I, I said it before, I'm kind of ready to move on. Uh, I don't think we're going to, I mean, 10 and two would still exceed my expectations and Clifford probably gives him the best shot to still get there. But you know, I, it, it's still going to come back to, you, you know, Sean Clifford really, really good 85% game. And, and it's a bummer that it couldn't have been more. Yeah, and I think that's kind of, you know, it really is the story of the offense. You hit on, you know, Catron Allen and Nick Singleton on first down. We're really good. Um, yeah. Joel Klatt drove that point home ad nauseum during the game. They, but they were consistently picking up three, four, five, six yards on first down, um, which I think is one of the reasons why, um, if you can do this, interceptions aside, Sean Clifford was really effective. He wasn't in a position very often where, they were relying on him to convert a big third down. They did convert a few of them. Um, I have the numbers here in front of me. They were, um, I thought I had them here in front of me. Yeah, they were six of 16 on third down. Not out, not crazy, but certainly um, probably better within where they were going was, into the yeah. game, it feels like. Um, mm -hmm. We'll talk about this here in a second. Defensively, they were really good against Ohio State on third down, um, really up until the, the the fourth quarter, which is kind of its own in discussion point on its own. Yeah. Um but the running backs were really good. Parker Washington was really good. Um, Keandre Lambert-Smith had obviously the big touchdown catch, also had the big um, catch and run. It was kind of in garbage time, but you saw, I think, kind of flashes of what he is. Theo Johnson had the big catch um, that set up the first Penn State touchdown. There was so much good on the offense. They did a really good job, I thought, for the most part, protecting Sean Clifford um, when he dropped back to pass um, as an offensive mm -hmm. line. Um, obviously yeah. not perfect, but they were going against arguably one of the best pass rushes in the country. Only three sacks allowed against that defensive line is impressive. Absolutely. And it's, it's, you were talking about all these good things. And then we come back to, to the four turnovers, all of which revolve around Sean Clifford. And I, I want to talk about them kind of individually. Cause they're all, yeah. they're, they're weird. Like I was saying earlier, the first one, um, really two of them are kind of the same. The, the, the first interception was the deflected pass that uh, Zach Harrison came up with. And then the third interception was the, I'm not even going to try and say his name. They said it enough on the broadcast yesterday. I still don't know how to say it. JTT, the defensive end that just, um, you know, might've won himself an award or two um, on, yeah. on his, the base of what he did on Saturday. Um, but those two plays, the two, those two interceptions were, Oh, I, I almost want to say no read plays. It's a play where, I imagine either that the the end is designed to become a free rusher so that tackle gets out and blocks or you want to chip him 
Um, so he isn't able to do that. So I'm to say that it's not, it's a different kind of interception to me because it is, you know, it's kind of take the snap and react. You're throwing the ball as design play to this receiver. You're not really making a read. Um, but especially after the first one, and I think there might've been another play early, later in the game where um, they ran a similar play and it got deflected. Um, you kind of wonder, are you, you know, do you need to be aware of that? Mm-hmm. The third, the, the, I guess the second, the third that we're going to talk about was the third down play where again, it was JTT makes the unbelievable play as a defensive end, mind you in coverage. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. But it seemed like there was a little bit of miscommunication there between um, Allen, the freshman running back, and Clifford. Um, not that you're ever going to get an explanation on that, but the reaction of both players kind of alluded to there was some confusion about um, what each expected to happen on that play. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I say all that because it's, you know, we talk about you know the interception against Purdue, you know, that was just, you know, a, a bad throw. Um the first one certainly is just, you know, a fluke play to flex kind of like the Penn state interception against, against Michigan. Um, so it's, but then you look at, and I think you mentioned this, Matt, there were a handful of plays where he got away with one. Um, there was one, yeah. you know, and it was still a ball game um, in the, in the second half throwing back against his body where it got deflected, I think twice. Um, there was another play like that. Um, but that happens. You know, CJ Stroud got away with a couple, including one where uh, Zaki Wheatley came down with it and just was maybe an inch or two out of bounds. So, yeah. you know, if it, it's a results business and certainly the three interceptions are the results. Um, but I, it's a hard time holding against plays that didn't go against him, holding those against him. So um, it, it certainly is the, the story of the game. Um, but again, it, it just doesn't feel like he played that badly. And like you said, and I said this with Nick last week, um, previewing the game, unless you're an Alabama or a Georgia or Clemson, you know, those teams, these teams that have run with and competed with Ohio state consistently over the last half dozen years or more, you have to be just about perfect to beat them. And Penn state was, you said 85%, a solid B performance on offense. And that's with four turnovers. Yeah. Um, I, I guess, my my question to you is, and you kind of alluded to this, and and this I'm jumping forward here a little bit. What we want to talk about, I guess, where do you go from here on offense at quarterback? Um, because obviously the Big Ten championship, barring some unforeseen disaster with Michigan and Ohio State, is out of the question. Um, you know, you're certainly not in playoff contention at this point with two losses. So where do you go first as an I guess as an offense because they did a lot of good things like we said but you know quarterbacks the million dollar question so I guess let's yep. let's tear that bandit off right now yeah I, I kind of said it earlier um and, and I may have misspoke I don't exactly remember what I said like five minutes ago it's a miracle I remember what's happening right now um they're gonna stick with Clifford because I think the staff believes he gives them the best shot to get to 10 wins and they might be right and I think 10 wins is important to judge the health of a college football program. But at the same time, not all 10 win seasons are created equal. And when we look back, the best win, assuming they get to 10, is going to be what? At Purdue or home against Maryland, Matt, if they get to 10? Yeah. What, I mean, what's that worth? I don't know if that's really worth a lot in terms of the health of your program. So I described Penn State a couple weeks ago as a window program in that if they're ever going to break through and make the playoff under its current format, 
it's going to be in a window year. Three and four are going to be window years based upon the talent we're seeing. And I think the staff knows that. If you look at the way they're handling true freshmen, they're getting guys on the field early. Like I think it's eight, seven or eight dudes have already burned their red shirt uh, with a whole month to go on the season. Um, I, I think that number is kind of locked in now. You know, as we get into November, I don't see anyone else burning a red shirt um, or barring injury. Um, this is a long-winded way to say, I think you have to pass the sticks to number 15. I think you can win three of these four with Drew Aller and with the running game evolving like it has been. And you can probably go four for four. And that prepares Aller, this offense, these pass catchers, this offensive line for the window year that we're expecting to have coming up. So, you know, I I hate to do it to Sean Clifford. Like I I really wanted the guy to be successful, but we're talking about a four-year career that's going to feature a really good 10 and two regular season, um, a, a COVID year, which I'll throw out an underwhelming seven and five year where he got hurt. And then this year. So throughout the entirety of his career, his best win is probably going to be 2019 against Iowa. And that's just not enough to cut it. I think to keep the five-star true freshman on the bench. So I, I, I know we're probably going to differ here on our opinion, but I think it's time to just go out there and say, all right, you know, let's see what we have in Drew Aller and let's see what he excels at. And then we have all off season to either, you know, build our offense around that or maybe adjust things based upon what he can do well when the lights are on. So I think it's time to make the switch. And I, I, I'm going to disagree with you, but I'm not going to say that you're wrong. I think this mm-hmm. is certainly a matter of opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, my, my whole philosophy i guess on on that sort of decision has always been that one your goal as a as the head coach at penn state is to win football games yep and to your point with at indiana home against maryland at rutgers home against michigan state to close out the year those are four games that i think to be perfectly blunt they could probably win with christian veyu at quarterback um but we're obviously not the ones that are there at practice every day. Um, we've we've seen, I don't even know how many passes Drew Aller's thrown this year, but we'll say 50 maybe that he's thrown at, at most in, in mm-hmm. the time that he's had. I want to say it's 23, but I could be okay, wrong. Okay, so I was way off, that. which is not un, not unheard of. Um, and so I've always deferred to and and this is you know this is why we're fans this is why we have this podcast this is why we you know tweet dumb things on twitter during the games and during the week but i trust that james franklin and mike yersich and the offensive coaching staff that see these guys every day and in drew aller's case know what he was as a talent coming in where he's at in his development know what the right move is to not only develop him but prepare the team for 2023, 2024. Um, mm-hmm. So I think if we expect those years to go like they are Drew Allers in the NFL draft in 2025. Right. But I go back to James Franklin and the, the entire coaching staff has to look the 85 scholarship players, however many walk-ons they have in the eye and make that decision. Obviously Sean Clifford's a very popular guy in that locker room. He's been elected captain, I think 16 times now in his illustrious career. Um, but it's, it's, it's different than the NFL where you're, you know, 
we know okay we know we're going to go 4 and 12 this year i guess 4 and 13 you play 17 games now we know we're not going to have a good year we know that the guys in the locker room our fans all are know that this is a a rebuilding process college football is just different than that these guys a lot of these guys you know when they play their last game for penn state they're that's their last game playing football and right. they want to win as much as they can they want to have as much success as they can so mm-hmm. It's, it's, I mean, there's a reason the guy makes seven and a half million dollars a year right. and his, st- his coaching staff makes, you know, however much it is total, they get, you know, they make a lot of money to make those sorts of calls, but mm-hmm. I guess I, I defer to maybe this is overly myopic on my part that they know what is best for Drew Aller. They know what's best for the 2022 Penn state football team. And they know what's best for the Penn state football program as a whole. Right. Um, I agree with you. I don't think they're going to make the change. I think we might see more of Drew Aller um, earlier in games. Hopefully, yep. you know, they're able to to put up numbers where they they feel more comfortable putting him in in lower stress situations like they've done up to this point. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I wouldn't, you know, be, you know, angrily tweeting or shaking my fist in, in frustration if Drew Aller gets the start on Saturday against Indiana. Like I said, I don't think it's going to happen. I don't think mm-hmm. either of us really expect that to happen. Um but I don't think it at this point, it from what we know, you know, the, the evidence we have of the whole picture, I don't think it is, you know, oh, all of a sudden you do that, they're going two and two down the stretch. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, they, they could, but I, I think, um, you know, given the talent of what they're facing down the road, um, that's not really, really in the cards, regardless of who's that quarterback, like I said. Yeah. We'll have plenty of time to talk offense. You know, we've got four more games this year. Um, yeah. This is a fascinating question to me, because, or not question, but topic, is the defensive performance against Ohio State on Saturday. Because um, you look at the numbers, 450 yards against, 354 yards passing for C.J. Stroud. Um, they didn't force a turnover. They didn't get the fumble in the, the first half that killed the uh, Ohio State scoring drive there. And then a weird series of events down the stretch there. Um, they held Ohio State to 98 yards rushing. Um, Insane. Almost half I, of that I, came on one play. It's just... It, but then you look at the totality of it. They gave up, we'll say, 37 points. You take out the the pick six late in the game. Um, so it's, by the numbers, not a great performance, but it felt like they played really well. Um, they just got, you know, offense versus, you know, Penn State offense versus Ohio State defense. You know, we saw the five-star former number two player in the country um, just take over the game. I think that's a lot of what we saw with Ohio State's offense against the Nittany Lion defense is, you know, the, I don't think it was a five-star, but high four-star C.J. Stroud, you know, doing what he does. Travion Henderson, a five-star running back, breaks the big play um, when they needed it. Um, Part of that drive that had Ohio State take the lead in just 35 seconds after Penn State went up 21-16. And then I think the, you know, obviously the one that everyone knows is Marvin Harrison Jr., who just, um, you know, gets better and better every time he goes out and just took over that game. Um and you can nitpick individual plays. There was the third down play where they brought pressure and played off of them, and it was an easy pass and catch. You know, once mm-hmm. uh, Abdul Carter missed the def- missed the uh, batting it down at the line of scrimmage. Right. Um, but I, I think, to me at least, a lot of it felt like five star elite level skill players doing what they do behind a mm-hmm. really really good offensive line that neutralized Chop Robinson, Adis Isaac, and PJ Mustard for for long stretches yeah. of the game. Yeah, that, that was going to be my my big thing I hit on. Penn State had two sacks in this game, and not one of them was from a defensive lineman. It was from Johnny Dixon on a really well-designed corner blitz, I thought. I love that play. That was 
that was big boy ball, I thought, for Manny Diaz there. And then Abdul Carter, um, who I'm starting to think is the best player on Penn State's defense. Uh, that may be bold to say, because I think really highly of P.J. Mustafer. Uh, Abdul's really good for a true freshman. I've, I, It's Micah Parsons level for me at this point, especially with how many snaps he's playing. Uh, I really like what they have in number 11. But you're right. This was Manny Diaz can coach football. It's abundantly clear. I don't think he's going to go get a head coaching job just yet. I think Penn State may have another year with him. And I'm curious to see uh, if they can go out there and find a pass rush uh, this offseason, what this defense can evolve into. Uh, but this showed that he knows how to coach the secondary really well. Stroud's going to pick apart everybody. Harrison, Ameke, how do you say his last name? Ibuka. Ibuka. Uh, Julian Fleming, uh, the tight end whose name's escaping me. Those dudes are always going to get open. Like, there's just too many guys to keep track of. Um, so I, I really do think they did an overall a, a really good job. I thought Kazai Izzard played a great game. I thought Elsden played a lot better. So there's definitely talent there, and Diaz really did about as good a job as I think anybody's going to do uh, of holding that offense in check. Uh, and I think the number is a bit misleading in terms of points allowed, just in the fact that, again, one was a pick six, and then they had you know short field a lot of the time uh, just because of the nature of the, the four turnover game uh, from the offense. So I think Diaz maybe lost some popularity after what happened against Michigan. But I know Bill made the point that Franklin has built this roster to compete with Ohio state. And I think we saw that, uh, you know, kind of come to come to fruition here this week. So well done by Diaz. Well done by the defense. You know, it's a bummer. They couldn't get a turnover or a little bit more sacks, but in terms of, you know, non-explosive play, I thought they were, they were about as good as anybody could ask for. Yeah, I'm, I've got the stats here in front of me and I'm was kind of trying to refresh my memory here. And I was having the conversation with someone on, I guess it was Saturday night after the game that, um, I mean, Ohio state, especially when you look at the passing game that, you know, okay, you can take away Marvin Harrison jr. Which I mean, everyone knows who he is and knows how good he is. And he's still got 10 catches for 185 yards. Um, you can take away Cade Stover, the tight end. You can take away Emeka Abuka. You can take away Fleming. You can take away Henderson, which they did for 98% of the game, really. Um, but they've just got they've got one they've got another guy every time you take away one guy they've got someone else to go to um and then you I mean thank god they didn't have jackson smith and jigba um you know who yeah. if if it's not marvin harrison he might be the, the most talented wide receiver in college football mm-hmm. it's just it's this wave of talent after you know over and over again you take one guy away someone else steps up and that's true on on both sides of the ball really um right. I, I was looking at the the rosters earlier today and i know i shared this in our slack mat but you look at you know, the top of the roster is pretty even, but then you keep going down. And I think it was the first almost 50 players I looked at on, on Ohio state's roster are four star and higher. And a lot of them are, are high level four stars. You get mm-hmm. down to, to player 45, 46, 47 on Penn state's roster. They're good players, mm-hmm. but they're, you know, the, the star level reflects the talent and the, the depth of that talent is just absurd. And then you look at the classes of some of those guys, you've got, sophomores juniors seniors that are that talented that have had time to physically mature have experience in the program played in hostile road environments like they saw yesterday um it just it's i I think every year when we see this game you really see what the difference between penn state's obviously recruited really really well 
But then you see what that next level is where Penn State is mm-hmm. desperately trying to get to. or Really, everyone in college football, save for a few programs, is trying to get to. And mm-hmm. you just see, I think that's really what it is. You know, Penn State played really well for 55 minutes of the game. There was that four-minute stretch with the um, the pick six and the strip sack and kind of where it got away from them there. Um, mm-hmm. But they played really, really well for 55 minutes, and they, and they lost by 13 points. Um, and that's as well, other than Notre Dame in the first game of the year, that's as well as anyone's played Ohio State all season. And I might hazard a guess, depending on what they do against Michigan, probably will be. Um, mm-hmm. And then, you know, depending on who they face in the postseason and things like that. Right. Um, it, it's a it's a unique question just because Penn State's a really talented football team. They're going to hopefully win 10 games because they're a really talented football team. Um, but Ohio State's in their division every year, and Ohio State's always like this. Yep. In the last couple of years, Michigan's been at that level. And... Mm-hmm. I found myself saying a lot in the last couple of weeks that it was 24 months ago or less than that, that people wanted to run Jim Harbaugh out of Ann Arbor. Um, you know, they couldn't get him out yeah. of there fast enough. And he went to the playoff a year ago and he certainly looks like he has a team capable of doing it again. Mm-hmm. That it switches so fast it does. for that level right below the elite teams, I think. And mm-hmm. I think that's where Penn state, I think if this last four weeks play out the way we think they will, is going to kind of reestablish itself hopefully as a program kind of in that, that tier where, you know, as you know, these young players that you were mentioning earlier, you know, mature and get more experience and they supplement that with more talent coming to the program, whether it be through Mm -hmm. high school recruiting or transfers can do what we've seen Michigan do the last couple of years when it looked like things were going really sideways for them. Mm -hmm. Um, The last thing I want to talk about on with this game in particular um, is I'm, I'm, we, I mentioned special teams. I think we can cover that pretty quickly. It, in a game where you have to be really, really good on special teams, Penn State just wasn't. They didn't punt the ball typically well. No. Um, they had a kickoff go out of bounds. Yeah. Um, Jake Penninger technically missed two field goals that didn't count. <laughs> yep. Um, then makes the 45-yarder. Um, but then Naturally. you see Ohio State pounding the ball out the back of the end zone. Their punter averaged, averaged I had it right here in front of me a second ago, 52 yards a kick those little things add up again in a game where you have to be really, really good. Um, Mm -hmm. This was a question that I've I've been debating with different groups of friends in the last, you know, 24 hours or so. Where do you think this game turned? Um, Because it was a weird game, lots of back and forth. um, And I'm not a huge believer in momentum, but it felt like something switched and it's easy to, to say, you know, Oh, the turnover or the strip sack, but it, it felt to me like, and I'm curious to what your thoughts were that it was even not even the big Travion Henderson 40 yard touchdown run that took the lead back so quickly. I thought it was that first play, the crowds going bonkers. Penn state's up 21, 16. There's nine minutes left in the game. They're not backed up, but they're down in front of the student section and they come out and CJ Stroud, throws a dart to Marvin Harrison for 20 yards or whatever it was on first down. They go tempo and it was like that, that the crowd just kind of went out of it. I'm curious if, if you agree, if there was another moment that you thought things kind of started to get away or not. I mean, it's hard to say because the game felt like it was going to get out of reach for Penn State really early with those bad turnovers to start things off. Uh, and, and then Penn State kind of brought it back. And I always felt they were on they were on borrowed time. And eventually the time ran out. And, and I think it was, what, three play, 76-yard drive? Is that what it what ended up being? To, for Something along. I, I know it was 35 seconds because I've been reminding yeah. 
a couple people <laughs> that all day because it's just it's astonishing how quickly it happened. Yeah, um, I don't know if there's a set play. Um, again, I think they were always kind of on borrowed time from the way it started. I mean, you do not turn it over, you know, two times. What, what were their first three drives? Was it two two interceptions and a three and out? Or two interceptions and um, one five first and down out. and then yeah, a punt? They, they got the yeah. one first down then punted. Okay, and a five and out. Um, you're not coming back from that against that level of team. Like, you're just not. So it always kind of felt like it was on borrowed time. So it's hard for me to point to an exact moment, but I think that's a, that's a really fair one. Uh, and it was especially frustrating because that drive that preceded that for Penn state went on for seemingly nine years. That was the longest drive of my life with the fourth down conversion with the missed field goal penalty, missed field goal penalty, fourth down, you know, that drive went on forever. So the defense should have been rested. uh, And to watch that not even matter, I think was, was incredibly frustrating. Yeah, I'm going to pull it up. So it was, you know, it was a 75-yard drive. So they had the touchback. Pinnaker just, mm-hmm. I saw Sean Fitz tweeted after this happened. So I see we're going with the kick the ball really hard strategy from now on or something to that effect. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was CJ Stroud to Marvin Harrison for 21 yards. They go tempo. Mm-hmm. And then Stroud hits Abuka for 13 yards. Um, and then the next play is the Travion Henderson 41-yard um, yep. touchdown pass. Mm-hmm. Uh, touchdown run, I should say. Um I, I don't want to say that's the last of the Ohio State talks. I'm sure we'll get into it here as we talk about kind of the the big picture looking forward. Um, but I do want to take a second to thank our wonderful sponsors, Homefield Apparel. Um, I, do, I am not wearing Homefield today. All mine is in the wash. Um, I have not done laundry for about two weeks, and it has caught up with me. Um, nice. But um, faithful listeners know that the wonderful folks at Homefield Apparel allow us to talk nonsense about Penn state football and Penn state athletics. You will hear basketball on this podcast here coming up now that the season is yeah, hoops right next around week, the corner. Baby. Penn state basketball next week, catch the fever. Uh, real quick aside, the, the Nittany lion basketball team uh, apparently won a close scrimmage against George Mason. I believe George Mason or George Washington, one of the Georges um, in preparation of the season. Um, so we, we will, we will have Penn state basketball talk. Like I said here, um, as we get into the season, um, but as you know, um, home field allows us to do this on your first order. Please use code roar lions roar for 15% off that order. Wonderful shirts, wonderful people. Um, like I said, we would not be able to do what we're doing. Maybe that is reason not to do this, but, um, you're listening. So clearly something resonates with you. Um, so please support our friends over there. If it is your first order, use the, the promo code when you check out and they will give you 15% off that order. I saw more than a few uh, home field shirts at the bar I was at uh, for the game. I think I maybe saw four of them. Uh, I saw somebody in the t-shirt version of the Take Me to Happy Valley. I own that in the crew neck form. Uh, and I rocked the uh, the white, or I guess the eggshell kind of um, color Nittany Lion um, logo that looks like the Lion Shrine. That's one of my favorite shirts. I, I wore that one. I was at the Minnesota game um, for homecoming last weekend. And that was my my tailgate shirt. Because any, any faithful whiteout attendee knows you do not wear your primary whiteout gear during the tailgate because you are going to spill something on yourself, um, especially with it being a night game. Um, so I had, I, th- I think my entire attire uh, that weekend on the drive over was the Take Me to Happy Valley t-shirt because nice. I'm very on brand, if nothing else. Then the, the um, eggshell kind of grayish, heather gray um, Penn State shirt on, mm-hmm. on Saturday while tailgating. And then the We Are shirt on the drive back home on Sunday. So um, 
Great shirts. I, I now own a Northern Michigan University home field shirt as well as a nice. uni- University of Hawaii t-shirt. Um, nice. Go Bows. I know um, they are struggling this year, but my, my rainbows will be back. Nice. Um, so, so, so moving on to um, kind of the second topic I wanted to hit on, um, which will inevitably bring up topics from Saturday's game. Um, but we, we've made it through kind of the, the brunt of the schedule um, at Michigan home against Minnesota, um, which ended up being a little bit of a letdown with Tanner Morgan out and um, Mo Ibrahim, clearly not a hundred percent. And then hosting Ohio state um, through that stretch one and two, six and two on the season. I believe they are number 16 in each poll. Now the college football rankings come out on Tuesday this week, the first iteration of those this season. Mm -hmm. Um, And now it's a chance, at least as fans to exhale a little bit with at Indiana, um, home against Maryland at Rutgers and the land grant trophy game against Michigan state on uh, senior day to wrap up the regular season. Um, like we mentioned earlier, and I think we're in agreement and I think a huge portion of the fan base is probably in agreement that this should be a four and stretch. This Indiana game, I'm going to be honest with you, terrifies me on Saturday. Um, I'm beyond really? grateful. That is a two thirty game and it's, it has nothing to do with, this year's Indiana team. I think they've got a solid defense. Their offense is, is nothing. I don't even have the, the rankings in front of me, but um, they're down in the eighties, I think overall in SP plus, um, which I know is kind of our, our go-to um, ranking system to kind of judge what our expectations are for the, the quality of opponent and whatnot. Um, mm-hmm. But weird things happen in Bloomington. Thank God. This is a, a two thirty. I don't even know if it's two thirty or three thirty. It's an afternoon kick. It's not, not the early game. Um, but I mentioned this previewing the Minnesota game with, I think it was Nick and I, um, that the the post-loss James Franklin narrative, I thought was going to get a huge boost from what on paper is a pretty good Minnesota team, mm-hmm. primetime game, whiteout homecoming. I think there was a lot of things that kind of came together to help get a team full of college-age students up for that game. Right. 2.30, 3.30, whatever time it is, in probably a two-thirds, if we're lucky, full Memorial Stadium in Bloomington against a not-good Indiana team. Not that I think they're going to lose, because I think a lot of things would have to go really wrong for that to happen. Um, but this is the kind of game where, you know, to to be overly dramatic, kind of creates that 2021 Illinois game situation, where it's a team that doesn't look very good, coming off an emotional loss where you played pretty well. You put a lot into that game, obviously. Mm-hmm. And now you got to get up again seven days later for a team that's not very good in an environment that's not going to be very um, energetic, we'll say. Right. Um, my general thought is if you get through get through Saturday, kind of get through that post-loss malaise, get the win out of your system, um, kind of play through it. You know, It's kind of like that recovery from a cold you know, where you don't feel great for a couple of days, but you got to get back into the grind. If you can get through this week, get through Saturday, then I feel really, really confident about about what's coming. Um, I think they can handle Maryland. That's a scary offense, but you get them at home. Um, what Maryland does really well, Penn State defends really well with, with right. the secondary. Um, and the Maryland defense just is not very good. And I think Penn State has, certainly with the running game, figured some stuff out that I think yeah. has allowed them to whether it's Drew Aller or Sean Clifford or whoever, take some pressure off the quarterback position. It's not all on that guy's arm. Um, Rutgers is just terrible. Decent defense, offense, that I think is one of the worst in college football. And then 
I have no idea what kind of Michigan State team we're going to get at the end of the year. Um, that's going to be a weird environment. It's not going to be a terribly full Beaver Stadium, I imagine. The vibes um, around Michigan State right now are not are not great, though. I don't know if you saw the video of, uh, of I, the tunnel situation. Yeah, the I vibes. I want to talk not... about this in, in a minute because I, okay. I I included a Big Ten recap on our our talking points today because I really want to talk about that for a host of reasons. Um, but th- that's that's a team that um, you know Michigan kind of played with their food a little bit. Um, and who knows where they're going to be? They're, I think, at three and five on the year. They can afford one more loss and still uh, maintain bowl eligibility. Um, I don't know what their schedule looks like the rest of the year, um, other than obviously at Penn State to finish the year. But it, it feels like they have um, Illinois yet, too. I think, I think that's actually this weekend now that you mention it. Mm. Um, but I, I think in the big picture, my expectations are you go 4 0, you finish yep. 10 and 2, you're either going to the Citrus Bowl as the you know, there's the top nine. New Year's six game or probably more than likely um, unless, you know, Illinois goes on a run here to end the season. You're probably the third big 10 New Year's six slash college football playoff representative along with Ohio state and Michigan, mm-hmm. um, which if you told me that 10 weeks ago when we were previewing the season, I would have signed up for that in a heartbeat. <laughs> mm-hmm. I know you mentioned earlier, like the schedule is not what it seemed like it was going into the year. You don't have that signature win. Um, but 10 wins is 10 wins. This program has not achieved 10 wins very often um, in, you know, certainly not the last two years and before the 2016 season really hadn't done it a whole lot with any mark level of consistency either. So I think regardless of who you beat to get there, it's 10 wins. Yeah. It would match the best regular season record under Franklin. Yeah. And I, and for, yeah, I'm, I'm going through all these talking points in my head that you read about, you know, you know, you, you win the games you're supposed to win and, you know, try and beat Ohio State and Michigan. Well, they're, they're going to win the game. If they do that, they're going to have won the games they're supposed to win. They'll have won the games they were favored in. They'll have mm-hmm. lost the two games they were not favored in to teams that are, quite frankly, just better than them at this point. Um, so big picture, 4-0, right off into the sunset with Sean Clifford, a senior class that has been through a heck of a lot um, on and off the field um, with the COVID circumstances and all that stuff. Um but I, I really want to see, um, and I think we will, whether it's Drew Aller or the rest of the freshman class, see those guys continue to take on bigger roles. Um, I want to see, um, you know, there's some guys, some of those freshmen that have games left to play to maintain their red shirts. I want to, I'd love to see them work in a little bit. Mm-hmm. I just kind of want to see kind of this transition, whether that's, you know, getting, getting those guys more meaningful reps and kind of starting to see um, where, this offense has started to evolve too, I think, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the obsession for the next four weeks have to be preparing for 2023. That's what everything has to come down to. Uh, obviously, you want to send these seniors and these players going pro and on a high note. I think you can give them their reps and get these freshmen, sophomores, redshirt sophomores, a ton of run at the same time. Uh, so I, I, they should go 4-0. and uh, And I will gladly take 10-2 and since I said 9-3 and this year. Um, but again, the entire obsession with this now has to be getting guys ready to become impact players moving forward. And that's finding your next go-to receiver. If Parker Washington leaves the entire offensive line in theory could come back. I don't know about, you know, especially Scruggs, Norzad, uh, and Olu, but I know Olu was banged up, uh, after Ohio state. So I hope he's able to give a go and really find out what his NFL stock is worth, but I want to see if Norzad maybe gets some run at center. I think he's a guy who could come back for the extra year. 
uh, just because he's only had one year at this level. And I thought Norzad played really well last uh, on Saturday. I don't know about you, Matt. I was really impressed with Hunter Norzad. Um, and I think for sure, Tangwall yeah. has the guard spot. Yeah, I think Tangwall has the guard spot locked up uh, moving forward. So I want to see if Norzad maybe is the center of the future. I'd love to see Vega Awane get some run. I think right tackle is just really interesting. I think Wallace is hurt. Efner is what he is. Um, Drew Shelton has games to play. And I was reading in a couple reports that looked like he's starting to play a little bit of right tackle on top of left tackle. So I don't know what that means, but there's a lot of interesting storylines. And again, I don't think the point of college football is to win national titles. Uh, If it was uh, Alabama and Kent state wouldn't be playing on the same level um, in, in, in name only, I guess. Uh, so there's still so much for me to play for and so much to watch. Uh, and, and I'm just excited to see kind of a shift in how this team is being managed. Yeah, I think you, you touched on something that made me think of, of a, a topic I've found myself discussing more and more recently because it's been the topic of Penn State football for it seems like half a decade now at least is the offensive line. And I think what's mm-hmm. really encouraging, hopefully – I'm going to qualify this as many, you know, as strongly as I can that, you know, this is Phil Troutwine's third season. That first year with COVID, he probably got dealt the worst hand of any assistant football coach in the country with a timing yep. of everything, both on and off the field. Um, so you almost throw that out, both from a recruiting and on-field perspective. But now in his third slash second year, you're starting to see, especially with guys that he brought in, and I know Olu Fashanu wasn't a guy that he brought in, but he recruited him heavily at, at Boston College. Salim Warmly, mm-hmm. not a guy that he recruited to Penn State, but he recruited heavily at Boston College. Um, Landon Tangwall, a guy that he brought in. Hunter Norzad, a guy that he brought in. Um, then you obviously look at the recruiting um, with Javen Williams and um, Alex Birchmeyer coming in as freshmen next year um, to supplement some of these guys that are coming in. I would have to imagine they're looking at the portal again to even if just add some yep. depth because it's such a weird position where you mm-hmm. – you have the guys that are older and physically mature and experienced, and there's a big gap to guys that haven't played at all and probably aren't physically ready to play at all. And you don't have that natural depth that you might have at other positions. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I'm, I want to see you, you mentioned uh, Ioni. I hope I'm saying that right. Um, we, the, the block went viral among Penn state Twitter after the Minnesota game where he just destroyed that poor kid. Um, and I, I want to see guys like that, that are, um, guys that Troutwine has brought in that he identified that are what he wants in prospects. Um, I hope we continue to see that growth, whether it's with Ioni, Drew Shelton, um, JB Nelson. I'm not, I'm not sure how much he's really played this year, um, but kind of this next wave of guys that are Phil Troutwine recruits or transfers getting that experience. Um, cause the, the offensive line is by no means great. I'm, I'm not trying to sugarcoat it that way. But when you look at how clean they've largely kept Sean Clifford this year and how much better the run game is, obviously a huge part of that is attributed to Catron Allen and Nicholas Singleton. Mm-hmm. But the five-alarm grease fire that it has been the last couple of years seems to have been put out at least. And they are showing yeah. signs of progress. They were pretty good against Ohio State. You know, JTT yeah. just took over the game at times. They, I thought they did a really good job on Zach Harrison. Um, I'm blanking yes. on the um, defensive tackle oh. for that has just Mike. had a monster year for Ohio state. His last um, name is they, hall. I think. Yeah. Mike hall, hmm. I believe. Um, so yeah. they, they've done a really good job there. Um, the mission game. I don't know if you throw that out because it was so bad or if that's just a bad matchup or what, but um, Ohio state's defensive front and their defense as a whole has put up big numbers all year. 
and they moved the ball pretty consistently against them. So um, I, I am hopeful that that is a sign of both Phil Troutwine kind of getting his guys and his system in there and Mike Yersich adapting more as a play caller, you know, figuring out what he has and, you know, continuing to evolve and figure out what works and what doesn't work. Um, so we will of course talk more and more about that as the last month of the regular season goes on here. Um, but I, I'd mentioned it a second ago. I, I want to get into the big 10 very briefly, just because I want to laugh about this. This is one of my favorite parts about doing podcasts is either the big 10 previews or the big 10 recaps that we've done this week was kind of dull save for one other yeah. game. Illinois knocked off Nebraska 26, nine. It wasn't that close. Minnesota shut out uh, Rutgers 31, nothing. Tanner Morgan was back. I think he threw for like 120 yards or something. Um, classic Minnesota game. Iowa beat Northwestern who is just absolutely terrible. I wish we had them on the schedule this year instead of, you know, Penn state always seems to draw the, the, or I guess avoiding Illinois this year. So that's the, the silver lining, but yeah. Um, the, you alluded to this, Matt, the, the Michigan-Michigan State game, I I was still awake when this started to break last night. I think it was after midnight Eastern time. Um, as most of you know, I live in Michigan. My wife is a huge Michigan State fan. She went to bed in the third quarter because she had had enough. Um, I stayed up because I wanted to see what might happen. Um, and if you did stay up late or you've been on social media at all in the last 24 hours, you have seen that exactly what James Franklin predicted would happen um, 14 days ago after the Penn state, Michigan, I don't know, confrontation we'll call it in the tunnel. Curf- Someone threw a sandwich maybe. Um, this was a little bit more, at least the video that's got come out has been much more um, violent, dramatic, um, not great for Michigan state by any means. Um, but eight or nine, at least Michigan state players ganged up on a Michigan player. I'm not sure who the specific guys involved were. Um, and I, I, both Jim Harbaugh and Ward Manuel, the Michigan AD refer to it as an assault. Um, and I guess if you look at it that way and you take out the context of football, it really was, it was yes. nine or 10 guys beating the crap out of someone, um, which is obviously terrible. Mel Tucker and the Michigan state administration have basically said, you know, they're, they're the police are involved in this. Um, you know, they will take swift, decisive action once, you know, those investigations are complete, I guess. Um, but what, what I find, I, I guess, funny about this, um, ironic, whatever word you want to use, um, <laughs> James Franklin took a whole lot of crap, um, including from Jim Harbaugh, about bringing up the fact, I didn't, and maybe I'm being a homer here, did you think what anything James Franklin said about the tunnel situation in Michigan was was whining or complaining? So I missed a lot of this. Like somehow for how on for how online I am in the Penn State world, I missed like I think like you were the one who told me about the sandwich situation because I had I'd like never heard of this until like maybe four days later. Um, I mean, I listen, it sucks. It's a bunch of nonsense at the end of the day. And I hope that the players involved, um, you know, receive some sort of punishment for this. Uh, but Franklin is definitely vindicated. Um, and you know, Franklin is a guy who obsesses over the little things. And I think before the little things become big things, they're kind of silly and fun to make fun of. Uh, but Franklin was right about this one. That tunnel situation uh, is not great. Well, it's it's two straight games, you know, just in you know, Michigan was off the week after the Penn State game. Mm-hmm. Um, and all Franklin said, and again, maybe I'm I'm looking at this with blue and white colored glasses, was that the Big Ten needs to do something about this before something bad happens something bad just happened 
Um, there was talk. I think the, one of the kids might have broken a nose or something. Yeah. Um, obviously not great. And he wasn't saying this is why we lost. He wasn't saying, you know, this was horrible sportsmanship. He, he basically said the Big Ten needs to address this before something worse than what we went through happens. This mm-hmm. is now three straight major games. Um, I think it was halftime of the uh, Ohio State-Michigan game a year ago. Something similar happened, more on the long, long lines of what happened in the Penn State game. Um, mm-hmm. I, I've been going to games at Michigan Stadium since I was four years old, five years old probably. Um and it's a unique environment. It's the only place on the planet in the college football planet, at least where the teams share a tunnel. And I have to think this, you know, this is not a a recent development going back to November of last year in the Ohio state game. It's just, it's, it's just amazing to me that this has become all of a sudden, you know, this major topic because James Franklin had the audacity to mention it. If Ryan day mentioned it, if, you know, Kirk Ferentz mentions it, um, if, if Mel Tucker mentions it, it's probably, it's not nearly the, the, the story it becomes because it's James Franklin mm-hmm. for whatever reason, anytime he opens his mouth and opines on anything in the college football world, um, he's taking grief from it. And when it involves Michigan, it gets magnified, um, several times over. So yeah. I'm glad we brought that up. I don't know if we really discussed it, but I really want to just vent about that for a little bit because, um, it, it just, it was fascinating to me and hilarious to me that it took all of one more football game for the worst thing to happen that James Franklin alluded to, to actually happen. Right. Um, so we'll be back later this week, um, previewing the Indiana game. Um, I know Nick's been really involved. We've had Tommy Stevens on recently go back and check out the archives on that really cool interview with the former Penn yeah. state quarterback now playing, uh, in the CFL, um, Caught up with Ryan Snyder of Blue White Illustrated, the on three site for Penn State, uh, last week to talk recruiting and the, I think, 7,000 visitors uh, who were on hand for the Minnesota game at the Whiteout. Um, check out Ryan's work at on three, by the way. Um, they've got had some great recaps from just the Ohio State game uh, yesterday and some of the kids that were on campus then. Um, but certainly like, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify. Um, hit the alert bell on YouTube if you follow us there. Um, sorry, you have to look at us. Sorry, I keep looking off over this way. It's kind of what I do when I talk for some reason. Um, <laughs> but thank you for listening. Um, Matt, any final thoughts before we call tonight? Uh, I think we got at least one hoops pod coming later in the week. Get ready. Penn State basketball year two. Micah Shrewsbury. Uh, Matt, do you are you familiar with with Ken Ken Pomeroy? I'm assuming, correct? Oh, I, I am very familiar. He, his his ranking system has. Um, how can I put this delicately? Won me some money. Okay. Do you know what Penn State is currently ranked in Ken Palm in the preseason? I want to say it's in the 50s. It's in the 40s. This is a top 50 oh, Ken oh. Palm team heading into the season. They open the year uh, with mighty Winthrop on the 7th of November. Oh, the and Eagles. Followed up. Perennial uh, NCAA team, Winthrop. Is that true? Are they the, are they the they Eagles? seem to always show up in my bracket as like a 15 or 16 seed. That's true. And then they uh, they host uh, Loyola, Maryland, who I believe are the Greyhounds, uh, where my sister went to grad school. So it's a it's a Filipovitz family, um, I guess, head to head matchup there on that front, even though my sister's a Penn State alum as well. So it all comes out. We'll have um, Vincent, who wrote for the site um, covering basketball last year, really knows his stuff. Uh, We'll be joining Mm -hmm. um, some combination of us to talk Penn State hoops as we preview um, year two of the Shrewsbury era. but we, like I said, we will be back later this week to talk Indiana. Apparently Penn State basketball because the season is right around the corner. I can't believe it. That means it's almost November. Um, 
Happy Halloween. Eat plenty of candy. Thanks for listening. We will see you soon. Go State. Go State.